I remember very clearly, there was one time, one day when it finally just all clicked. It was like in a footstep. I was just walking to the train, bam, pure moment of awakening or something along those lines, where it's just like, I could see all the machinations of the cells. I could see how they were just running, just patterns that would play. Just like, you know, someone throws a ball at your head and you reach out your hand to catch it. It's like, oh, you meet someone on a train and say a beggar and they go, give me some change. And you react the exact same way. It's, it's a reaction. After that, my life kind of fell a bit to pieces, to be honest, where I was almost trapped in the madhouse where I could see all these patterns and all these things playing out, all these selves doing their little dances. But then they... Uh, I couldn't control it. It was just like, I could see it very clearly. And uh, that slowly took a while before that kind of, you know, sorted itself out. And now it's more, more real. This is the other thing I've realized about Western magic and Western, general Western philosophical culture is there's kind of a denial of the body in general. It's all mental now. If we go slightly more abstract, if we go into the Gurdjieffian sense, he divides man into the seven categories of man. And you have man one, two, and three. Uh, man one is a person whose locus of the personalities is centered on the physical body. Uh, we have man two who's centered on the emotional body, and man three who's centered on the mental body. And these kind of things, man three culture is the dominant culture in the West. It can be traced. I have a friend who spends a lot of time who's much more into this than me, but he kind of basically goes, we can go from sort of ancient Greece, the rise of philosophy and how that kind of spread and how, you know, going through and all the way to modern thinking is there's a big denial of the, the body as a center of the personality. Hello, and welcome to the Spirit Box podcast, where we explore folklore, magic, the world of the spirits, and everything in between. For episode three of season two, we're joined by magician and body training expert Emmett Louie. Emmett has spent a long time meandering through various systems of Western esotericism. A chance encounter with the system of Gurdjieff radically altered his life and set him on his current path. His work is focused on the combination of body training with an emphasis on its interaction with spirit work and energy mechanics. For the past eight years, he studied under a lineage on Taoist magic. In the show, we discuss Gurdjieff. We also discuss the reality of martial arts training. And Emmett recounts some really interesting psychedelic adventures and some of the spirit contact he's experienced in rural Ireland. We also have a guest experience from the Dark Man, naturally. Wouldn't be the spirit box if, uh, if, he, if our old friend didn't turn up. And in the plus show, we discuss that spiritual impetus to move to rural places that sometimes people get, and obviously not everyone gets that. Um, we also discuss the variety of spirits that can be found there, or I suppose more appropriately thinking how perhaps more opportunities to encounter spirits present themselves in, in rural environments. Um, specifically, he goes into what it's like dealing with shadow people and some interesting haunted, um, some interesting haunting accounts uh, in, his, in, his, in his home in the west of Ireland. And um, getting into some of, of 
and its expertise with body training. We discuss how physical exercise can be a gate to non-duality. Now, if you want to hear the Plus Show, it's very simple to do so. Simply sign up to the Spirit Box Patreon and get the entire Plus Show back catalogue and all the bonus show extras. Right, let's get on with the show. Emmett Louis, you're you're very, very welcome to the Spirit Box Podcast. It's really nice to have you on the show. Ah, oh, thank you, John. Yeah, it's one thing I'm you know, super excited to be honest because it's my, well, you know, one of my favorite cult podcasts. So always oh, good to be, uh, yeah, you're up there. Top two uh, occult confessions and yourself are my top two. So. Oh, fantastic. That's why I'm, well, I'm very honored now. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, I'm, um, I'm always amazed that, that people actually listen to the show. You know, yeah. uh, and I don't mean that in a modest way. I mean, it kind of genuinely because um, yeah. it kind of just goes out there, you know, and you forget about it. Like, um, but um, yeah, you're very welcome to the show. You know, um, the patrons will will know you from um, the, the, the the small show I put out at the start of the month about um, some of your experiences with um, with. Well, I guess the the, the she, the, 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 the fairies. Um, yeah in um in the west of ireland and we can get into that but to to, to help um the 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 listeners position you and 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 um where you come to uh or how you come to this kind of world um yeah great to give them a, a bit of a, an introduction to you and, and and your work and you have a really interesting background i've been reading your material um on your website do my you know, yeah. research slash stalking and, um, yeah. you know, a uh, very interesting that's, background. I suppose that's my public side. So this is, you know, my first foray into being a public occultist, whereas normally, you know, for the last, I've been doing this stuff for very long and it's always just kept it a disconnect between public and private persona, just for reasons. So I won't be going out, you know, but coming out of the broom closet, I suppose they call it nowadays. But uh, yeah, so gonna try and give a short but long rambly sort of thing of what I've been doing over the years and that will kind of I suppose give some springboards for talking about uh, first of all I just want to say thank you so much for having me on this cast I'm very excited about it so I'm gonna fanboy a little just over you know meeting yourself and uh, so I suppose for me personally I I never really had a blockage on this kind of stuff it was always real for me it was never it wasn't a family thing. It's not like my family or like, my, you know, dad was a devout atheist. Mother's, you know, she's spiritual in her own kind of vague way that there's, you know, agnostic, I suppose. But, you know, they're both raised Catholic in Ireland and dad, because he was growing up in Belfast at the time, the troubles and stuff like that, seeing the nasty side of things. So he's just like, I'm done with this shit. And so there's never any of that, but it was just always something I always just knew that was the thing I was you know, kind of doing a bit of a resume for myself when I knew it was coming on the cast to kind of put things into order I can remember you know a very early age receiving messages and like the very first one I remember was you know walking with a friend in Renla in Dublin and we were about eight seven or eight at the time and I just had a message danger and I was like what 
I just reached out and grabbed him. I have instinct. A truck just came around the corner and like mounted a pot. What would have taken him out of it? Grab him. So it was the very first like something like I was like, holy shit, that was like literally real. And that kind of spent a lot of time trying to make it real based on these kind of things, which isn't really how it works. But obviously you're an eight-year-old who has no grasp of these things and trying to go along. So then later on, maybe 12, 13, 14, I had a friend who was also very open to these things. And we would do a lot of astral projection. We'd meet each other at night. And I had, you know, in dream state, these kind of things. I remember one thing that really confirmed it. I remember this, like, because, you know, it's these things, it's kids playing, you know, you still don't think it's real. Or you just, you know, it's playing, it's make-believe. But it's cool, it's fun. It's a game that you do with your friend, and it doesn't matter. But I remember one night we were astral projecting, and we met with some other group of people, and someone was telling a joke. Uh, I got woken up before I heard the punchline. And then the next day in school, I asked him, what was the fucking punchline to that joke? And he told me the punchline. So I was like, okay you know, an actual information confirmation that is something going on. So then, you know, teenage years, things kind of, you know, fell off the radar with other things, rollerblading, you know, girls, school, whatever. But then sort of towards, I don't know, I'd say from about 16 onwards, I was taking a lot of drugs. Just straight up there, you know, smoking weed, taking mushrooms, taking acid, taking MDMA, stuff like this. And with the mushrooms and other stuff, I had a, a lot of weird experiences and DMT as well. I had a couple of weird ones on that that kind of gave a lot of confirmation to it and kind of kicked things off a bit stronger. Now, I don't do any of that anymore. I just, it's not what I do. But it kind of, it, gave what I think of as tuning the radio, the ability to tune the radio into these states where I can drop into them quite easily now. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, okay, I know what that, I don't want to say feels like, but it's like, okay, I can do that. I can, you know, make psychedelic visions appear if I need them. These kind of things, so I can just turn it on. At the same time, these kind of things. Also, you know, I got more interested in the counterculture side of things. So that kind of led into Robert Anton Wilson, uh, Chaos Magic with Peter Carroll, Crowley, Talima, these kind of things, which were kind of, they're very appealing to someone who's about like 17, 18, they're transgressive, they're rebellious, they're like, no, you just don't need to do this, you know, oh, you don't need me to follow this, you can just make it up as you go along. So that kind of, that was kind of an interesting one for me because it, because they frayed a lot into the psychological magic model of magic where that just didn't sit right with me. But I, obviously these people are the people are writing the forefront. Then you're thinking like, oh, well, obviously this is what they're saying. So that's what I'm experiencing. But, you know, it kind of made it not real for me. and didn't allow my experience. So I kind of shelved things a lot for quite, quite a long time then. It was just, you know, suppress, suppress, suppress. And mm-hmm. uh, that kind of, went on for quite a while then I was living in London for a while I lived in London for about 10 years and towards the end of my time in London I met this guy who was uh, just living beside me and he got a neighbor got to know him very nice guy and he was training to be a psychotherapist and hypnotherapist at the time 
And he's from Scotland. As I got to know him a bit more, he was, his family was into spiritualism, into spiritualist churches, but he was also, he, at one point in his life, he was a heroin addict. And he fixed himself with Gurdjieff, who I don't know if you've come across. And he was like, you know, just doing some of the exercises and the other stuff, he was able to like stop, kill that eye that needed to take heroin and able to get his life back together. He's completely together. You wouldn't even tell he was an addict at any stage in his life. And, uh, you know, so, but then he gave me, he gave me one of Gurdjieff's books, which was uh, Beelzebub's Tales to His Grandson. And he was like, I don't understand this book, but here, read it. Gurdjieff, you know, he said he buried the dog with the bone. So I read that book a huge amount. Now, when I mean a huge amount, I, I probably read it about 10 times. I read it out loud, read it quiet. I read it with no sub-vocalization. Everything I could, could do to get out of it, read it one doing dramatic recitations from my housemates by standing on the kitchen table a couple of times. And then whatever's in that book actually worked. And I remember the, a lot of the Gurdjieff thesis is that there's a lot of false selves that you have this idea of a self that you think is Emmet or you think is Dara, but it's, it's an aggregate of a lot of different selves. And the, the self for Gurdjieff, a lot of the body parts that are running things or the mind parts, whatever, are in the wrong place. You have, he uses the metaphor of a house where you, know, you have a big grand country house, but the master's away, and the coachman is in the main bedroom running things and you know, the cook is doing the cleaning and stuff like this. But one of the things in this is to see the false selves. This is the thing, the false eyes. I remember very clearly, there was one time, one day when it finally just all clicked. It was like in a footstep. I was just walking to the train. Bam, pure moment of awakening or something along those lines, where it's just like, I could see all the machinations of the selves. I could see how they were just running just patterns that would play just like you know someone throws a ball at your head and you reach out your hand to catch it it's like oh you meet someone on a train and say beggar and they go give me some change and you react the exact same way it's, it's a reaction after that my life kind of fell a bit to pieces to be honest where i was almost trapped in the madhouse where i could see all these patterns and all these things playing out all these selves doing their little dances but then they uh I couldn't control it. It was just like, I could see it very clearly. And uh, that slowly took a while before that kind of, you know, sorted itself out. And now it's more, more real. Then from that was when I was like, okay, the self that is suppressing my regardless stuff is not real. And all the stuff I am experiencing is real. So then, then I was like, okay, I'll have to take these things a bit more seriously. So then coincidentally, at the same time, I, or a couple of years later, I managed to, in my normal life, I do a lot of personal training, physical training, acrobatic training, stuff like that. I always kind of pick something new to train. Every, you know, at the stage I was doing, like every year I pick something different to explore for a bit of research, to learn some techniques, maybe bring stuff to my clients or whatever. Then I was really interested in, I wanted to train my tendons, so I put it. And I was like, I want to train tendons. You know, you're training muscles and you're training movements, but you know, tendons, what's this? And you know, Western science has something about tendon training and the stiffness and elasticity and they have techniques. But then, you know, reading Chinese martial arts and you, they have a lot of concepts about tendon strength and sinew strength and stuff like this. I was like, okay, I need to find out what this is. So I was trying to find some people around and exploring around. Then I 
was not getting anywhere really. It wasn't really making sense. So then a friend of mine who, he was also in the Chinese martial arts for much longer than I was. And he was like, oh, I found this guy who is legit. He knows how to do all the stuff. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll sign up to train with him for a year. So I started training my tendons with uh, Serge, my current teacher. And then he, uh, turns out there was a lot more in the school than it is. So for the last eight years, I've been training in the school, which is called Dash One, which is a school of Taoism. And then we train, then I sort of specialized. He actually has a whole magic lineage. So I've been training under that magic lineage now for the last eight years. This is my eight year starting. And that's kind of what's nice about it is it gives, because it's a full and an old lineage that's essentially unbroken, Whereas in the West, where obviously I was looking into a lot of Western magic and I have quite a big library of stuff, it's very, it's very fragmented. No one actually really has the methods. And you get this idea of Western magic where it's like, I'm doing a magical experiment. I'm going to try and copy someone's notebook. Whereas for me, I don't really want to experiment. I need magic to be like engineering. Where I go, I have something. I can essentially calculate what I need to do I can do it and it will work exactly as I want. And that's kind of what I've gotten from this lineage where it's like, okay, we, it's that we can, you know, you know yourself is like, oh, we, Western magic is like, people talk about techniques. Techniques can be hit and miss for some people. Some people work amazing, some people can't. We can literally tell you why it won't work for you and give you techniques to make things work. So it becomes a very structured training and very formal, formulaic, I suppose, but it's very clear. And that makes things very nice. So that's kind of leads me up to, I suppose, where I am now. Like the, looking at your background and kind of a lot of the body work that yeah. that, that that you do, I find that really interesting. Um, because like you were saying about how you became aware of a lot of those kind of sub-personalities and the various yeah. different programs that were running. Um, I'm I'm keenly aware of some of the ones that I I certainly have, and yeah. and I'm 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 also painfully aware that I'm very far from kind of um, aligning them or absorbing them or dissolving them. Yeah. Um. And a lot of that has has got to do with 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 the body and and understanding it. Like one of the goals, I I tend to set myself annual goals. You know, yeah. um, and you're kind of mentioned about kind of you know, uh, looking to train your your attendance, which is a wonderful sentence, by <laughs> the way. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, it it really triggered a lot of me, and and like I I tend to or 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 uh, maybe think about kind of some of my my own um ways of thinking. I tend to give myself annual goals, yeah, uh, and and really go for them in a quite like um, I mean a kind of a borderline psychotic way really yeah, to be yeah. honest like because you're up against yourself right yeah you know, and you kind of you know you don't want to you don't want to kind of uh give up on it but my, my big one and the one that I've always stumbled on the one that I've always really um found the most difficult to to beat has never been kind of my it's like I've, I've given myself kind of like Things like what well, you need to read, uh, like thirty books yeah. this year, or you need to write a book, or you need yeah. to do like a lot of these protracted mental things that I can I can grasp. But the body has always been the one 
that like yeah it's just been out of reach you know yeah. and like a couple of years ago i did one where i ran like i said i, I hate running yeah. so as some sort of weird punishment to myself slash trying to beat that out of myself or defeat myself rather um i said i'm gonna run a 5k a week for a year yeah do 52 5ks and i achieved yeah. it but fundamentally at the end of it um all I really managed to achieve was be a slightly faster fat guy. Yeah. That was really kind of where I ended up with. So I'm fascinated by like looking at your work and, 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 and how you've described your background. I'm fascinated by that physical integration yeah. with, with the mental, you know, and, and the spiritual, like that's, um, that to me is hugely intriguing. It's very inspiring as well, actually, yeah. you know, to, to observe like, I, to to what end when you look at the, when when I look at those three pieces you know in in a very rough sense in a very rough sense describing those three pieces what came first for you in that integration uh, hmm this for me uh, the body work is the other sort of like this is the other thing I've realized about western magic and western general western philosophical culture is there's kind of a denial of the body in general it's all mental now if we go slightly more abstract if we go into the gurdjieffian sense he divides man into the seven categories of man and you have man one two and three uh, man one is a person whose locus of the personalities is centered on the physical body uh, we have man two who's centered on the emotional body and man three who's centered on the mental body. And these kind of things, man three culture is the dominant culture in the West. It can be traced. I have a friend who spends a lot of time who's much more into this than me, but he kind of basically, we can go from sort of ancient Greece, the rise of philosophy and how that kind of spread and how, you know, going through and all the way to modern thinking is there's a big denial of the the body as a center of the personality and then it is this kind of thing where we would have you know even if we go into cultures we'd have man one would be very tribal culture you know i'm speaking very vagueness here not you know anything else we'd have very vagueness we even see this almost in crowley a bit where we have them talking about like the age of the child or the age of the woman where it's like a maternal culture then the age of the man where it's more patriarchal hierarchical society and then we have the uh you know the mental culture and then obviously as the age of the child which would equate to man four in, in gurdjieffian stuff but there is this thing say from your own story what you just told me there is it's a very classic man three thing so for you you know you have you're clearly man three in terms of this your personality is centered around the mentality and this kind of idea of having a disconnect between the physicality is one of the things man three needs to do to actually transmute. So it's a kind of a shifting around the polarities is the way to think about it. And that's the first kind of thing to, this is, this is the problem. When we're working with the patterns and the false selves, it's the false self will basically sabotage you from doing the actual work you need to do. So running is the classic man three thing. I will run because it's a rhythmic boring activity. I can force the body to do it. I can mentally force this body to do it where it's not actually going to transmute the body. So it's the classic one. I have ran and I know I'm a slightly fatter runner. 
it's a challenge. Yeah. Uh, I, I, that's really interesting, and 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 I appreciate that perspective and that knowledge. You know, um, because it it's, and I think a lot of people will who are listening to this will appreciate that because yeah. it's not necessarily kind of a widely observed perspective. Yeah. No. Um. And. And I genuinely am, I genuinely am convinced that there is an innate question around the mastery of your own physical vehicle. You know yeah. how you engage with it and yeah. your spiritual capability. You know, capability is the wrong word. No, no, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah. Like we yeah. could even look at say. If we look at occultists, you know, even modern ones or even older ones, the ones who kind of pushed to the limit, Dion Fortune, she was very physically flexible, very physically engaged to do all the advanced asanas, could meditate in them. We look at Crowley. When he, if you look at Crowley, I, I like Crowley and I've read a lot of them, but I dislike a lot of what he says as well. But there's a certain stages in his literature when the juice is really turned on. And that's when he was also in his physical prime. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, mountaineer, boxer, swimming. He was in great shape. Yeah. If we go a bit more contemporary, if we look at Josephine McCarty, what's her background? Oh, she was a dancer. What is the training of a dancer? Ballet dancer, classical dance. It's mm-hmm. very actually similar to what you do in internal martial arts. Yeah. If we look at, uh, we look at a system that's a bit out there, Lone Man Pie, which is... Uh, I think it's an ocean-based system, an energetic system. It's, yeah, the guy, he's in fucking fantastic shape. Mm. He's like 15, he's fucking shredded. If yeah. we look at one of your recent guests, uh, Alcatis Dimec. Yeah. Yeah, she is a dancer. Mm-hmm. And these kind of things, this is one of the things I've done in my own strand is we look at human culture. We've always had two kind of strands of physicality. We've had one based around numbers almost, like who can be the fastest, who can be the strongest, who can throw a stone the furthest, who can throw a javelin. It's linearity, whereas we also look, there's another strand that kind of gets forgotten, is what's spectacle-based, where like dance, performance, you know, going from like tribal kind of societies which have their kind of ritualized dances and performances, ones to ones that get a bit more structured even if we go like if we think about the train where we'd have in ancient days like kids would be taken into temples and they'd be first thing they'd be taught to do is play music and dance and sing mm-hmm. and then maybe they would make it as a priest then but this kind of culture because it's training and its background is kind of hidden because people aren't looking at the training it's not like i'm not you know i'm training to run faster and so people see me run faster. The training of a dancer is almost hidden. Like we don't want it to be shown. We show you the dance, but we don't show you the training. Mm-hmm. So this kind of training that allows, it allows more absorption into the body because you have to have a more control or it has to have a slightly outward focus. Because I'm trying to, you know, I'm dancing. I want to convey an emotion, a performative state. So then I need to be able to project that through my physical form. And that's what gives the linkage. And that's why you rarely see people are like, you know, into powerlifting and other stuff in this field. Whereas you'll find a lot of people who have a kind of dance and kind of, I don't want to say soft style of the body, but this kind of focus to it. And it is in, you know, it's one of the strong things I believe it's in that kind of style of training, what gives you the body that can do it also gives you the body that can handle the current Mm -hmm. 
that's really that's really interesting. Um, what an interesting perspective, and I think you're onto something with that. You know, and certainly kind of you know because I was thinking about um, Alkisis uh, Dimesh when when we you know when and you you mentioned her from her background in in in, in Japanese buto dance. Yeah. Um, as a very good example of that and, and like certainly when i look at like um like my own background um when it comes to training which you know is very up and down yeah. um but like it's it's always been um like it it's it, it's always been martial arts or fairly kind of combative sports yeah you know, like I uh, played a lot of like rugby and Gaelic football and all that nice. kind of stuff, you know, um, and loads and loads of of, of martial arts. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, I've always it's always something I've gravitated towards. But when I think about what it's given me, is that it's probably given me more mastery over how I think and how I push myself. Yeah. Um. But that all that doesn't necessarily translate back. Yeah, you know. Um, but you know, in the martial arts, have you done much actual fighting? Um, yeah, yeah. No, I done like a um, the probably the three more contact ones that that I, I mean, I started with taekwondo, which was yeah, you know, point sparring and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I've done a lot of um, like Krav Maga. I trained oh, nice. my, my toy in Thailand for a bit. Nice. Um. Which, kind of all the secrets about Dara today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, I mean, one thing I kept finding, because I, I spar, when I was sparring, uh, like as a kickboxer, sparring yeah. people with better boxing, whenever we got a little into kind of, you know, like fist range, I just kept getting the crap kick, just, well, punched out of me. I would say kicked out yeah. of me. It was being punched out of me. Um, and uh, after that, I kind of took up boxing for yeah. a bit and kind of did a lot of uh, sessions on just learning more about uh boxing so i've never kind of been afraid of of getting into the ring yeah you know um and um it's very hard to describe i mean people who've done it know what i mean but it's yeah. like having being like roundly bested by somebody in a boxing ring or a kickboxing ring or something where you, where you basically go i haven't got a hope of yeah. not getting clattered in this situation but you kind of go and do it anyway that starts to develop a lot of mental strength yeah um, or certainly changes you in, in a lot a lot of ways yeah it's one of the in so my current teacher they also do a lot of martial arts that i do a bit in but i don't push it to the limit but one of the the first things if someone goes to surgery and goes, i really want to learn to fight properly with this stuff mm -hmm. you know they do it for fun and health but it's like i want to you know actually fight the yeah. very first thing they do for the first couple of months is they pair you, sorry, pair you up with someone who is just going to kick the shit out of you. <laughs> and they progressively just kick the shit out of you harder and harder and harder. So you just get rid of that, like, fear, I'm going to yeah. be tough. It's not even fear. It's just like, yeah. I'm the tough guy. I can fight yeah. mentality because it's just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's just there. It's just going to, you know, no, you're not. You're not tough. You don't know <laughs> shit. Okay. You've had the crap beaten out of you enough time. Now, do you want to continue? Okay. You want to continue. Okay, this is the reality of actually fighting. And now you've had the reality. Do you want to continue? Okay, you do. Okay, now we can train you properly. Uh, it just makes me laugh so much. I, 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 I relate to that so much. 
because I've had the crap kicked out of me so many times, it makes me laugh. Like, because um, that whole idea, because I, I probably started from that point of like, you know, I want to be, you know, yeah, nobody can mess with me and all that kind of stuff. And then you find out that you're there. There's really there's no there's always somebody way better. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter what you do. And it's good. It also like it uh, curtails that excess thing you get with you know younger guys who might be like, oh, mm-hmm. I can fight a bit now, so I'll pick a fight in the bar. And it's like, well. Yeah. You know, you've maybe had a rib or two broken over the last month or two. You know, you know this just hurts. Like, yeah, it, it does. Yeah. It really hurts. It's a, it's a very good way of of um, settling the ego. You know, yeah. I, I you know that's that's why I recommend it, listeners. If you ever get a chance yeah. to get a smack in the jaw, <laughs> yeah, it'll um, it'll help you it, it, to some degree. You know, yeah. No, I think it's a. I think a lot of people need to have it just to feel the reality of like, okay, yeah, shit's gonna go down. This is really unpleasant. Yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't do this. <laughs> oh, that wonderful. That's that really makes me laugh. Um, so taking a, a, a slightly different direction, you know, uh, you you sent me um in the story uh, or your your uh, recounting of of an event that happened yeah. to you, um which is up on the patreon about the 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 book binders and yeah. the fairies a really interesting experience um that you had and we'll get into that in a bit and, and one of the things that really stood out for me listening through to that um was your description of of the beings the height the 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 how they felt you know yeah. uh, and that kind of gave you that um that kind of tuna de danan a feeling yeah. um which given the kind of the area you were broadly in yeah. you know it's kind of like historically um or mythologically rather rather um kind of a ground zero for for uh irish um yeah irish mythology um can you give a bit of your, your your kind of background there and kind of you know when did you did you first start having those experiences not necessarily like the 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 astral stuff you're talking about earlier but yeah. when you started engaging with something else that was non-human uh the very first one i had this confirmed by my boshen which is the the equivalent in our system as your holy guardian angel recently or no a while ago a year or two ago was one time i had decided to take five grams of mushrooms five grams dried of mushrooms just why not which is a heroic dose. And I remember very clearly that I ended up, you know, sitting down with my eyes closed in a friend's house. And I was like, oh, you know, this is going to sound weird, but, you know, bear with me, listeners, <laughs> where I was like in a fridge. Uh, but then the fridge opened, and on the other side of the fridge was all these, you know, they were fairies. I know they're fairies now, but I didn't know at the time. They were just offering me things, and they're saying hi, and just meeting me, and just, you know, in the psychedelic imagery. Mm-hmm. It was very just, like, there, real. And I was like, okay, that was, according to the angel, it was, like, my first initiation into the actual other world, in a real sense. From that kind of night, it kind of spun on, I remember walking home, and when I was walking home, you know, I was walking from, from you know, I would say, Rakar to Portobello in Dublin. Right. And I was like, just walking home, and I was getting assaulted by all these beings. Like, just you know, obviously I was on fucking mushrooms, so you know, bear in mind on that. But it was, you know, anyone who's been on mushrooms knows, like, when you're walking and 
But yeah, things might be a bit melty, but it takes a while. You have to sit down and kind of let these things out. No, no, they're just there, reaching out in front of me, coming out of the shadows, everything. And I was obviously, you know, a bit weirded out. Right. So then I was like, okay, but that was kind of, I was like, okay, those, so, you know, at that say I've done, you know, not to brag, and I don't do this stuff anymore, but it was like, I've done a lot at this stage. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't was, first rodeo. It wasn't first, yeah, it wasn't first rodeo. I was like, okay, that was very different than everything I've ever done. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, that wasn't also my first time doing five grams stride. It was, you know, done a few other times before that and wasn't as dramatic in this sense. So from then, you know, I still went through a phase of just like, okay, that's not real, blah, 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 suppress magic because I got a bit older. I was probably when I got 19 maybe. But then there's a couple of other things, like this thing, I have a lot of stories that I'll foray into that kind of put things into context where one other time with the psychedelics with dmt so i was remember one night as well what kind of made things a bit realer was it was out with some friends i had had three beers and we shared a spliff so not a lot not anything just casual night. i came home and i was like you know fuck it it's 12 o'clock i'll smoke some dmt before i go to bed so so you know set up a rig smoke the dmt anyone who's kind of done dmt knows you know 12 minutes, you're kind of out of it. 15 minutes, you're kind of back to normal. That. I remember one time I'd like a load of 50 milligrams, done that. Uh, I sort of burst through, broke through, breakthrough dosage, as would be known in the circles, broke through and broke through even weirder. I ended up in a very strange realm. And then there was some big kind of demon thing there. I know it sounds weird, but not weird for your listeners. But it was like, I mentally communicating. It's like, I'm going to take your soul was what I got. Now, obviously, we're translating astral mental communication into, you know, your words. So was it saying that exactly or not? I don't know. But what ensued was this epic battle, like me fighting it mentally, visual, blah, blah, blah. And then I finally broke free of its grasp. And I'd been under for 45 minutes like in pure sort of breakthrough dosage for 45 minutes. Wow. And that was, that kind of kicked things off. Like, okay, you know, once again, not the first time at the rodeo, done this a lot, mm. you know, and seen the machine elves and all this kind of stuff you normally see and all that kind of Alex Gray type imagery. And, yeah. But that was just like, okay, 40, this can't happen. So from there, it's kind of, then there was kind of a bit of suppression until I kind of had the Gurdjieffian stuff. Then, but not not intentional suppression, just more like well, psychological magic. My psychological model of magic is shit, and fuck this. So you know, it's it's not real. It's in my head. I'm making it up. Mm. And then you know, I finally came around. Actually, no, it is real. Then from that, it just it is. It's just a process now of accepting what I'm seeing. Accepting. It's just there's a certain acceptance that like it's there, and if you can swap your sensory focus, so we have our you know, we have two sensory focuses. We have our focused awareness or thing. I'm focusing exactly. I'm focusing on Daryl right now. But I have my peripheral awareness is kind of like what's going on around me in the general stuff. Mm-hmm. Then we have this process of the mind where the subconscious will pick things from the peripheral awareness to bring it into the focused awareness. So right now I was just talking about like, oh, I it decided to jump to the ladder. This was out of the corner of my eye and go, oh, your attention is there. But this peripheral awareness is where our sixth sense, sense of the other world is. And this is also when the subconscious decides that can, you know, through a process, it decides that it can bring things into it. So this would be 
the classic was was that you featured a lot in the earlier podcasts with the whispering of demons at the edges of your perception and then sometimes you catch it and the words are coming in your ears that the thoughts are coming in mm-hmm. so then from there things just kind of spiraled where it's just like okay cool i can just see these things they're just there if they're there and now it's kind of you know i deal with them on a daily basis at this stage i you know have dealt anything you can kind of think about i've kind of either seen or dealt with you know be it uh shadow people lots of shadow people when i lived in berlin live near berlin wall our apartment will get fucking infested with them shadows moving all the way to fairies other stuff and now it's kind of because all the training i've done over the last year but it's more and more kind of stuff gets put in my way to deal with Mm. be it like exorcisms uh, spirit clearance mm-hmm. dealing with spirit intercessing other stuff so it kind of gets yeah because once again that like no blockage open for business in in terms of then like the the nature of of um of your um to day-to-day work yeah. Like how does that overlap when you're, you're working with somebody and, and you're, you're you're helping them progress and whatever they want to physically progress in? Um, does that come up, you know? Uh, not really. I try to keep these things quite separate. But yeah. at the same time, I do use a lot of magic in stuff to make things better. A lot of stuff, like a lot of like... A lot of stuff that gets put my way, it's more someone comes to me with a need, and they'll kind of. I literally do not talk about this with anyone. Yeah. Like, you're the first kind of person I talk about this public, other than my friends and family, you right. kind of know. Okay, I understand. And then I'll be working with them, they'll go, Oh, Emma, you're kind of into something, or, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a very hard balance to strike. You know, I, I, I understand. You know, I I understand the tension, and then I'm like, well, you know, I'll you know, I'll go. Okay, maybe I can help. And I don't tell them what I'll do, but I'll just do a little something, mm-hmm. and that will kind of help a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Finding cats seems to be a big fucking one. People's cats are always going missing. They're always going. Okay. My cat's gone missing. I need help. I'm like, okay, and then oh, my cat's back. <laughs> <laughs> That's really intriguing. And so, where you're based? Uh, out in the west of Ireland, um, we jumped. We we were chatting yeah. just before we hit record, um, reasonably close to kind of my um my home area, um. I always find that the land a little bit overwhelming, you know. When, yeah. I, when I come back to it, um, and I just going for a walk in some of the areas where you kind of you get immersed into the wildness of it where it's the landscape is just hostile to even traversing it. Yeah. It's it's proper, proper, um, uh, a hard landscape. Um, and sometimes I find it a bit difficult. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. From a spiritual perspective, sometimes I find being at home a little bit like I got to get out of here. I'm just getting bombarded. Yeah. Um, and that can be a little bit difficult. I got to, Put so, boundaries yeah. up, and uh, you know, well, that's where I was getting <laughs> no, to. You know, no, no, yeah, that's something for you as well. Yeah, it's definitely a. I got one related to you actually, which is kind of funny. So there's a bog nearby where I walk the dog, and it's got like a loop trail, kind of like you can walk through. 
um, there's one point, so you kind of go off the road, the car park, you go off, you go about 200 meters in, at the same spot every single time. So I listen to your podcast when I'm doing it. It only happens with your podcast, <laughs> not Occult Confessions, not any other podcast I'm listening to. But when I cross the line from human into other, and it's very, for, like for me, it's very tangible. I know exactly where it is. Mm-hmm. I could probably, if you're ever where I can bring you and go, look, watch, tell me what you feel. Or I won't tell you, like you can tell yeah. me. But uh, when I cross it, the podcast cuts out. It cuts out for about 50 meters. And then it comes back up. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I have it downloaded because I thought it was just like signal cutting out. So to start okay. downloading the episodes. But yeah. no, no, just cuts out. That's interesting. Yeah. Because again, because sometimes that happens with with recording as well. You know, yeah. it'll just go straight away, you know. Yeah. Particularly, I, there's... Um, like depending on the type of, of show it is, if you're talking about a particular spirit who doesn't want to be spoken about, yeah. you know, um, it will play havoc with stuff. Yeah, I had one week where um, I broke two phones and uh, broke the screen on my MacBook, like all in the space of about four days. Yeah, you know? and I was like, suspicious. This is <laughs> this is well dodgy, yeah. you know. Um, so yeah, so some things don't don't like being talked about, but also yeah. it's like there seems to be kind of an um, well, there is uh, you know uh, an electric interference. Yeah, definitely that happens. You know, that, that yeah. it definitely is. Um, yeah, it's definitely kind of when I started getting the juice flowing properly, there's like light bulbs blowing up in the house and mm. everything going on nonstop, and you know, yeah, I know, like it's just a thing that happens. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, so I should probably explain my living situation because I think you'll find it interesting. So where we live is we recently bought a, an old monastery here that was a monastery that was set up at the famine times oh, wow. or just after the famine. The, right. the local landlord invited the Franciscans to build a monastery to come give a good Catholic education and teach farming methods. So we have that, we have a chapel. And then the house, we've got an interesting one from recently where... We have there's a ghost in the house. Right. I've seen her. I was like, I've seen her, seen her, made a small bit of brief contact, whether it's real or not. We can, you know, I have some information. This is the thing with spirits. When every deal with spirit, always try and get something to confirm it that you can actually confirm. Mm-hmm. So I have something I haven't managed to confirm yet. But you know, my partner's kind of felt her presence, other stuff. But we had some friends staying, and I told them about the ghost. And I was like, oh, you know, just, you know, if people are staying in the house a bit longer than a day or two, I'll just give them a warning, but not, you know, just in case they see it or they get spooked yeah. out. And one of the girls of the, who was there, two girls, they, she decided to, she never had a paranormal experience. She was like, I've never had one. And the other girl who was staying has kind of, has a very open aura to these kind of things. So has had a good few of them over years. So obviously there's a bit of jealousy. And uh, she decided, like, I'm going to start calling the ghost and I'm going to give it a name. <laughs> so she starts calling and it's like calling out, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then gave her a name. I'm not going to say the name because it'll kick mm. things off again. Yeah. I was like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Now, what happened was something else decided to become the ghost for her. So Q, one of the, yeah, you know, presence felt in the room. Their bed started shaking one night. 
then, you know, one of the girls, like, shadows started moving on the walls for me. So I'm like, okay, I've got to sort this out. Then, you know, the girl seen a face appearing. It was all very, because the area around here is just kind of waiting for things to go like, oh, you've invited me in. I'm going to, uh, yeah, I'll be this person you want me to be. Not menacing, so I have to get rid of it. But yeah, that was kind of fun. Bed shaking and everything was like a good one. <laughs> yeah, the uh, it's like oh, it's playtime. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it, it's very hard to describe to um, to people the potency of of the land. You know, yeah. uh, in that and how alive it is. You know, and if you have any kind of sensitivity at all, um, as you already described, yeah. it, you can see it. You know, yeah. like and, and like I tend to 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 feel and hear it yeah. more than more than anything else. Um, but it's extremely it's extremely potent. Like, yeah. um, and I mean, Ireland is full of the stuff. Yeah. No, it, it really is. I mean, personally, I feel it particularly in, in, in the west of Ireland. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, it just has less civilization. But I was kind of thinking about this recently. And, um, like, I lived in Temple Bar in Dublin for, from what, like, literally on Temple Bar Square. Right. And I had some very strong, it was during the pandemic, I had some very strong spirit contacts that were actually confirmed. Right. Right. Like very strongly. I had one where I kind of met a Genie Loki, so the spirit of the location right. of Temple Bar. And it's like, you know, as normal, you go, like, okay, give me confirmation. Give me something I can mm-hmm. prove, you know, give me some information. Give me some. And it showed me a picture of a ring and it said, you'll find it on Crow Alley. Two days later, walking down Crow Alley, exactly where the spirit had shown the picture, was middle of the road, you know, was a ring. Boom. Exact ring it showed me. That's really cool. And I was thinking, like, it's not. I think there's just less density of people. So if there's, you know, if you imagine like, you know, in Dublin, there's 20,000 people per square kilometer or some shit yeah. like this. Yeah. And there's 10 spirits. Mm. You can only have 10 contacts. Whereas if you're in the countryside and there's 10 spirits, but there's only you on your, mm. you know, square kilometer or so, mm. suddenly everything gets a bit denser. Well, yeah. I do get you. Yeah, things are a bit wild. There's a lot less interference. Yeah, well, that's it, isn't it? There's a lot less interference, you know, and and it's it's very much kind of you're encroaching on them, not the yeah. other way around, you know. Like, and, and interestingly, you mentioned like, I have a loop through the bog near, yeah. near my home, which I I walk or um, indeed run where I'm when I'm in one of those cycles, yeah. um, where uh, like there's a couple of trees along the route. And I, you know, you just, I look at them when I go with portal, portal, yeah. you know, like that's, that's, that's visibly a fairy tree, yeah. you know, um, and, and some of those are, are, are ones that I, you shouldn't approach. Yeah. You know, <laughs> all too well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is a, I'd say I had a weird one as well when we locked in the time for this call. Mm-hmm. And the whenever I read the email, it was probably in the morning. I was out walking the dog in the garden, and guess who I saw in the garden? Your friend. It wasn't the dark hat. man? Was it the dark man oh. appearing by a tree? Yeah, it was on the peripheral vision. I was like, "Shit, there's a guy from the tree." Looked yeah. up, gone. But it was like, "Oh yeah, yeah." Yeah, that's really yeah, interesting to say that yeah. because um, I've I've 
noticed him twice when we started this conversation in my periphery. Yeah. You know, um Yeah, I can pick up the know. vibe all right. Yeah, like uh Well I mean he's he's prolific. Yeah. <laughs> um I mean the the dark man is I mean, I, I'm at the point now with the kind of the, the the depth of work that I've I've kind of put into uh, researching yeah. him, uh, how much I've been exposed through through um, magicians and witches and experiencers yeah. that um, I honestly think it's hard to to go into this world for any length of time without coming up against him. Not against yeah. against him is the wrong word. I mean, brushing up against. Not in a confrontational way, but but coming yeah. across him, you know. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. There's some stuff I'd like to say, but I just got pinged to not say it. So sorry. Yeah. Fair enough. But yeah. There's yeah. yeah. There's I can fuck. I really wish I could, but I can't. Sorry. Yeah. I oh, know. I I understand really, that completely. Yeah. You know, I, I've had some very direct, um, communications. Yeah. Like from him, uh, like around my digital presence. Yeah, you know, like uh, where it's it's one of those ones where he's like, you know, I yeah, you shouldn't be in those spaces. You need to concentrate on on being in nature and in wild spaces for this to continue. Yeah, but there's a lot of kind of pushing you towards avenues that are, I mean, frankly, beneficial to him and what he wants from you. Yeah, you know, um, and if those things line up, then great. You know? Yeah, I was definitely a uh, you know. I've been living in cities for all my life mm. and I'd never live in the countryside yet here I am living in the countryside and kind of got pushed that way. Yeah. And, you know, obviously there's a bit of a storm coming. Yes. And everything, which yeah. kind of, yeah. I, so, I, I personally believe it's related. Yeah. I think it's related. I oh, really yeah. do, you know. It's kind of, yeah, I was using Josephine McCarthy's Magician's Deck yeah. Which is a fantastic tool for anyone who doesn't have it. You should probably get a copy of it. And mm-hmm. uh, for the reading I was getting, it was the man of nature was coming up a lot in mm-hmm. the positions for myself and in the future. I was like, what the hell? I'm not going to, you know, working with nature and, shaman, you know, shamanic kind of stuff came up. And I was like, well, it's not really what I like to do. But, you know, mm-hmm. you could broadly describe some of the stuff and the way I work as that. Yeah. But no, I was like, you know, am I going to have to do more of this kind of work? I was like, oh, no, here we are, center of the reading now. Not yeah. of nature, living in nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, I, I that that sounds very, very familiar, you know. Um, and uh, if people are interested in, in in your work, but if they want to find out more about you, is there, is there somewhere they can do so? Not really. So if your paths cross with mine, it's probably a reason. We'll yeah, see if we can fix it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, I like that. That's pretty cool. Um, well, it's been an, an absolute um, pleasure to have you on the show, and then. Um, um. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's do it again sometime. Yeah, cool. Thank you, Emmett. Uh, it was a real, real fun conversation, and I look forward to getting you back on the show for another engaging and intriguing chat. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that. Um, 
plenty of food for thought there. I, I've left a, um, a fairly nondescript link to some Gurdjieff um, stuff in the show notes. So if you want to know more, then do have an exploration, uh, have an explore rather, um, and uh, see how you get on. I'm. That is it from me. I'm Darren Mason, and you're listening to the Spirit Box. Take care, and talk soon.